Holy Gospel according to St. Luke. Everyone was expecting the Messiah to come soon, and they were eager to know whether John might be the Messiah. John answered their question by saying, I baptize you with water, but someone is, is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I am not even worthy to be his slave and untie the strap of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, and he is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn, but burning the chaff with, with never-ending fire. One day, when the crowds were being baptized, Jesus himself was baptized. And he was praying, and the heavens opened, and the Holy Spirit in bodily form descended on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. The Gospel of our Lord. Well, grace and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, every once in a while, I don't know if this has happened to you, but every once in a while, you hear a story which sticks with you. Well, that happened to me some years back when I heard Pastor Dick Hartle speak. His topic was how congregations might celebrate faith milestones such as First Communion, or the giving of a Bible to a student for the first time, or confirmation within their faith community. And it was a helpful presentation, but that is not what stuck with me. At that conference, he told this story about his high school days. He said that back in high school, every Friday or Saturday, when he was um, getting ready to go out maybe on a date or out with friends or um, maybe uh, uh, go to a game, his mother would stand by the front door and as, she, as he was leaving, she would say to him, don't forget who you are. You know what she meant, right? You know what she meant. She did not mean that he was in danger <clears throat> of forgetting his name and street address and not being able to find his way home, she meant, don't forget who you are. It was like a maternal blessing on him as he left home. And this was her way of imploring him to remember the values with which he had been raised and then to act accordingly. Dick basically said, she was telling me not to be a jerk. So here is what I wonder. I wonder, did your parents <clears throat> or parent say something like that to you when you were in high school? I wonder if parents are still saying things like that to their children who are in high school or maybe middle school or whatever. I think it's sometimes difficult in our modern life amidst the um, <clears throat> conflicting claims and confusion, sometimes to remember who we are. And let's face it, families and social media and advertising in institutions such as workplaces and schools all have a lot of influence over how we see ourselves each and every day. On this day, when we celebrate the baptism of our Lord, 
And as we do that, we remember our own baptisms. Perhaps one way a Christian can find out who he or she is is not simply to go on retreat or take a long journey, even though that might be helpful, but maybe a good place to start is to come right up here to the font and look into those grace-filled waters where God claimed you and made you God's own. And the reflection of yourself that you see there is, who le- is, is, is really who you are. When you look into those waters, you can just see yourself and you know that you are God's beloved child. Because isn't that what Jesus discovered the day he was baptized in the River Jordan? When he heard those words from heaven which said, you are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. So as God's baptized, as God's beloved children, as God's beloved, don't forget who you are. Don't forget who you are. What name should be given the child? This is a question a pastor was often uh, traditionally asked when a child was brought to the font years ago in older baptismal rites. This act of christening was the way that the church bestowed a Christian name as opposed to a family name upon a child. And in ancient times, the church literally named the child often in memory of a saint, a favorite saint of maybe that community. The naming is reminiscent of what happened in scripture when a person had a dramatic conversion experience and then they changed their name. And all you need to think about is when in Acts when Saul becomes Paul after his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. Well, what happens in life is that this, once we're given a Christi- this, they were given a Christian name, then the person would grow into that name over time, answering to it, giving it meaning by the way they live their lives. And at first, any name that a parent names their child might feel like a big name. So we have William and Catherine and Elizabeth and Arthur. And when you think about that, those names on tiny babies, it seems like, well, those are kind of big, aren't they? And I do remember a former member of our congregation who used to attend a Bible study I led, Kristen Celeste Horn. When they named their first daughter, they named her Abigail. One of her names was Abigail. And they wanted to give her this great informal name, they said, because that was in case she became president someday. (laughs) They wanted her to have that name. But I have to tell you, they initially called her Abby. But children do grow into their names, right? They grow into their names. They fill them out. They become natural. They fit. And then sooner or later, we can't imagine that person um, with any other name than the one they were given. Well, most recently in our baptismal rites, uh, we continue to name people, but it's a different kind of name, if you will. At baptism, we're given the name Christian, Christ follower, and that name, at whatever age it is given to us, is a gift, unearned, unmerited, undeserved, even like salvation itself. And in giving us this name in baptism, the church is making a radically different statement about who we are and how we get to be who we are. The church is telling the baptized person that his or her identity is a gift bestowed upon them by the grace of God alone. 
And we do not discover our identity as a member of the human family, nor do we earn our family name. We get them as gifts when we're born into that family, right? We learn who we are through the day-to-day love and care our parents, our family shows us each and every day. And we learn what it is to be called Christian in the same way. Give the new Christian time and he or she will grow into that name and will fit it well. And this is how following Jesus each and every day shapes us deeply. Discipleship following Jesus helps us reflect God's love and fit the name that we have been given. Baptism says that we have not only been given a name, it says we are God's beloved. But at our baptism, we are also called into ministry to be workers in God's kingdom alongside and for Jesus. But affirming ministry is not an idea that appeals maybe to a lot of people, um, uh, uh, excuse me, but affirming the ministry of the baptized is not an idea that appeals to all because sometimes it sounds like a lot of work. And I don't know about you, some people feel pretty tired out these days. Sounds like a lot of responsibility, and, some, and sometimes people feel like they have enough. Well, one woman who heard a speech on the ministry of the people of God, which said that the laity were God's best hope for the world, she was reported to have said to her friend, I'm sorry, but I don't want that much responsibility. Well, like many, she heard that invitation to ministry as an invitation to do more, to lead a group, to cook a supper for the homeless, to teach VBS, to, uh, to help in other ways. She heard that invitation to ministry as an invitation to be more generous, more loving, more religious. And the sad thing, I think, is that no one ever introduced her to the idea that ministry <clears throat> might just involve being who she was and doing what she was already doing um, right where she was. She was, uh, and, it's the, and it was one difference, and namely that she understood herself to be God's person in, in, in that place. She was God's person in her family. She was God's person in her community. She was God's person at the school. She was God's person um, maybe at work. And I think sometimes we just forget that it's just about being God's person where and, and, and where we are at that time. And we just need to let who God is in our lives spill over into all the different places that we are living each and every day. Well, baptism does not only name us, does not only tell us we're beloved, does not only call us to ministry, but it does another thing. It tells us that we are God's forever. God keeps what God loves. And on the cross, Jesus defeated death and its power. We say forever. Nothing can change this. That death does not have the last word. Well, in times of great doubt and when struggling through the dark night of the soul, Martin Luther would sometime touch his forehead and say to himself, Martin, be calm, you are baptized. Martin, be calm, you are baptized. And in times of doubt and inner turmoil, hopelessness and confusion, 
we too might do well to touch our own foreheads where the sign and seal of baptism was made and remember our baptism. And remember that nothing can ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You know, be well. Maybe some of you read the book Roots. It was written quite a while ago. Maybe you saw it on TV, the miniseries, quite a while ago. But in that book by Alex Haley, there is a memorable scene where uh, the, at night when the slave Kunte Kente drives his master to a ball at a big plantation house. And Kunte Kente heard the music from inside the house, music from the white folks dance. Well, he parked his buggy and started to settle down to wait out the long night for his, uh, as his master you know, was there and had, and had the uh, time of his life, you might say. But then while he sat in that buggy, he heard other music coming from the slave's quarter, the little cabins beside the big house. And it was different music, music with a different rhythm. He felt his legs then carrying him down the path towards those cabins, and there he found a man playing African music, the music he remembered in Africa as a child, the music he had almost forgotten. And Kunte Kente found that man was from his part of Africa, and they talked excitedly in their native language of home and of the things of home. Well, that night after returning from the dance, uh, Kunte Kente went home changed. He lay upon the dirt floor of his little cabin and wept, weeping sadness that he had almost forgotten, weeping in joy that he had at last remembered. The terrifying and degrading experience of slavery had almost obliterated his memory of who he was, but the music had helped him remember. William Willimon, a theologian, thought this part of Kunte Kente's story was a great baptismal parable, a parable of how easy it is in the midst of life to forget who we are and whose we are. So the church, is here to remind us who we are. The table is, is here to remind us who we are. The word of God is here to remind us who we are. We are here to remind each other of who we are. And that is this, that we have been bought with a price and that someone greater than us has named us and claimed us, and seeks us, and loves us with only one reason in mind, so that God might love us with this empowering and transforming and redeeming love in this life, yes, and in then for their life to come. So today, remember your baptism, maybe touch your forehead, make the sign of the cross, and be thankful for this for this is who you are, a beloved child of God forever. Amen.